The message today is entitled, The Revolutionary Resurrection. The Revolutionary Resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of what took place so many years ago. And you are amazing. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Bless this word. I'm going to speak now to your people that you have put on my heart. I pray in your holy name. Amen. This morning as I was awakening, my heart became terrified. My heart became terrified because of the reality of the condition of the human heart. That if not for the grace of God, this prison planet would only have one end, execution. For every one of us have come from a judgment of execution upon our lives. Now, time moves slowly. And you can imagine that because you were able to get up and had hot water in your shower, because you were able to go and have a warm breakfast, because you had a nice car to drive here, you can imagine that you don't face execution. But you do. It is given to all of us to die once. And then face the judgment bar of God. And it causes me to be terrified. Can you imagine a man on death row? As he knows that the next day. Early in the morning, he will hear the steps of the jailers as they come down that long hall and with those keys unlock his door, put shackles on him, and walk him to the place of execution. No matter how a man has thought about that, he cannot make total peace with his death. Death has held all of us in a place of fear. I hear people proudly say, I'm not afraid to die. And I want to say to them, you liar. You liar. There's none of us who can face, even Jesus could not face death on the cross and separation from his father without sweating blood. And he was without sin, the most courageous man who's walked on the face of the earth. Until you come face to face with the reality that earth is a prison planet. And that there is a sentence of death upon all of us. You can't understand what Jesus did at the cross. Now, I'm going to say some things to you 
that I've heard the Lord saying. There is among us and in us a desire to have great intellectual understanding. And intellectual understanding I have pursued all of my life, having been sent to very fine schools, finally to graduate school, and then my library of books, and then finally my scripture, constantly seeking a a larger portion of understanding and information. We're Americans. We can't help but scoop up everything that we hear around us. But education never saved a soul. (laughs) Education cannot save you from your death. Einstein was a smart man. They have his brain pickled. Smart man with a pickled brain. It didn't save him, did it? How many times I've conducted a funeral for a man or a woman who had extensive graduate degrees from top universities. They still died. Information will not save you from death. There has to be, with the information, a heart of love and of obedience. Information without a heart to obey is destruction. So today, I'm going to try to bring to you Yes, information. But that's not the major issue. The major issue is a heart warm, kindly, turning away from this world and everything that Baal has to offer us and turning to Jesus Christ. Ephesians Chapter 1, the first 14 verses of chapter 1 tell us all of the glories that God has poured out on our behalf. Now, let's be very frank and honest. Heaven has not withheld from us anything. All of heaven has been poured out for our salvation. He is not selfish. He is not close-fisted. He is generous. He is kind. He is merciful. He has poured out everything on our behalf. He has not withheld anything that would bring us life. Verse 15, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, Your love for the saints. I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray 
also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He's praying on one side for wisdom. He's praying on the other side for the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, that dunamis, that dynamite, that explosive power which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every tide that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. What? You know, we're so much into our personal life that we don't recognize that Jesus' primary concern is about the church. You can only find your place in Christ in the church. And let's say you go somewhere and there is no church. Then it is your task to call the pagans to come and receive Christ. And then you have a church. I'm not talking about the institutional church. I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about people who come and understand that all of heaven has been poured out for you and your heart is quickened and you say, I must have Jesus. This crucified man who rose from the dead, he is the one we desire. Jesus died for the church. Because he wanted a bride. He wanted a bride. So what is Jesus doing right now? Have you ever wondered? It's been 2,000 years. What is Jesus doing today? I'm going to give you very specific answers from the, from the scriptures, but I'm going to tell you first what I believe Jesus is doing today. I believe he's courting his bride. He is working to win the heart of his bride. Jesus is working full time to win your heart. So that you will be pure. You will be without any marring. Never forget the night. My daughter Heidi was married. She brought to us her wedding gown. And she said, Daddy, somehow I got this dirt on my wedding gown. And I don't know what to do about it. She dragged it on the ground and rubbed it against something. And it was wrinkled. The wedding gown had come out of the box, and when she'd taken it out of the box, it was wrinkled. And she somehow had imagined that when she took it out of the box, there would be no wrinkles. 
but there were wrinkles. And she said to Daddy, could you iron my wedding dress? Now, you understand, that's a bold request of a daddy. I said, Heidi, I have the iron and the ironing board in the car. I went to the car and I got the ironing board and I got this brand new steam iron that had never been used before because we didn't want it to mar this wedding dress. I'd paid too much for it. Yep, Dad paid for the wedding dress. Yep, Jesus paid for the wedding dress you're going to wear, bride. And into the very late hours... Almost to the time it was time for her to walk down the aisle. I was ironing in a hotel room. That wedding dress. Cleaning it. Making it perfect. And I tell you, when Heidi put that wedding dress on, her face was aglow and she was gorgeous. And when she stood there ready to come down the aisle, on my arm, I was so proud of Heidi. And the tears coming down her cheeks. No spot, no wrinkle. Clean. Ironed. With loving hands. What's Jesus doing right now? He's ironing the wedding dress. With you in it. With you in it. And the iron's hot. All the wrinkles have to come out of you. All the marring has to be healed and repaired in you. Now, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. They are co-equal. Now, Jesus said, the Father is greater than I am. Why would he say that? Because he was identifying as the Son of Man. So while he was on earth, he was subject to the Father. He did nothing without the Father's direction. But he was God. Coexistent. He was fully man, but he was fully God. Now, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have differing functions. The Holy Spirit now is on the earth and he comes ironing us at the command of Jesus because the Spirit belongs to Jesus. It is the Spirit of Jesus working in our hearts to bring conviction, to bring change, to bring healing. God the Father... I'm not quite sure what he's doing. 
except he's running everything. He's sitting on the throne. And he's making sure that his son has a bride. So the Holy Spirit is moving out in the hearts and lives of men. He's the Lord of the harvest in the scriptures. Jesus said, if I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. The word place is translated in the King James Version as mansions. In the NIV, it's room. The literal Greek word means a place of staying. A place where you live. And so Jesus has gone about the work of preparing a place of staying. It's called the New Jerusalem. You can read the description in the latter part of the book of Revelation. 200 foot walls. Streets of gold. The river of life flowing. I mean, it's a spectacular... And a man who was an architect considered the space available in this huge city. And in fact, if you take the space needed for housing, for parks, for streets, everything included, there's enough room in that city for every person who's ever lived on the face of the earth. God made room for all of us. But all will not go. That's not because God didn't make room for you. God made room in the New Jerusalem for all of us. So what is Jesus doing? He is operating in the temple above. And I'm going to show you that in just a minute. The temple that was built on the earth, the earthly sanctuary was modeled after the heavenly model. And he is there now ministering his blood and ministering the benefits of Calvary to every person who will receive. But I'm not going to get ahead of myself. Let's go to this passage once more. Chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 27. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Uh, What happens when a man marries a woman? Don't they become one flesh? We are called to become one with Jesus Christ that we could dwell with him through eternity. Now, I'm going to read you something that I don't understand. But I want. I don't have the experience, but I want it. Let me read it for you. Verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ... 
past tense and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. Now, please, I'm telling you, there is an experience that God wants to give us of our being seated in heaven in the spirit right now. Some days I can get a hold of that and begin to experience it. But it's very elusive. It should not be elusive to us. It should be the daily experience of our lives. To be seated with Christ in heavenly realms. We should never come down to the low level. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his graces expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God does not condemn you. He only wants his love to be seen in your heart. At the judgment, those who have rejected will face the judgment. But right now, Jesus is not about condemnation. He's about mercy and grace and kindness. He is giving you time to be ironed. He is giving you time to look like him. And he's doing that work in us. Verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Remember, this is to be done in the context of the church. Now, I want you to look with me in chapter 2. Verse 21, in him the whole building, that is the church, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is talking about the church. You know, some people get real high on the Holy Spirit. Now, I want the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit in fullness in this church. But I'm not going to get high on the Spirit and low on the church. The church is where the Holy Spirit manifests himself and begins to function. The New Testament church on Pentecost met together. Cornelius later had a whole group of people come together. They were the people who prayed together. They were the family that stood with Christ. And they listened to the preaching and the Holy Spirit fell. And you have the first Gentile church. Now listen to this. Chapter 3, verse 10. Talking about The intent, the intent of the Father. His intent was that now through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. How does Jesus want to demonstrate to the devil his power in the church? So where is the devil going to come and focus most of his energy? In the church. If he can convince you to begin to harden your heart and be absent from the church, he's got you. I'm not talking about an institution. I'm talking about the gathering of God's people by the Holy Spirit where they become one together. The church is more important than your job. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added unto you. When the church gathers, the Holy Spirit comes in a way he does not come in my private prayer closet. Now, here at the prayer chapel, some of you have said to me, Pastor, we need to learn how to be the church. I agree. And you know where we learn how to be the church? At the church. That's kind of simple, isn't it? We learn how to be the church at the church. Well, some of you have said to me, Pastor, why don't we have dinners after church where we can just fellowship one with another? Well, did you know we do that? Every week on Friday night at my house, the church gathers. You're all invited. How many times have I invited you all? Every Friday night. Oh, Pastor, I can't do that. It's too far. One sister drives two hours on Friday night to be present at the church. She wants the church. And then last Friday night I watched in absolute joy as the church began to function. As different ones began to pick up the dishes and wash them. Put them away. Another part of the church brought this fabulous soup. I don't know what all it had in it, but it was it was something. And it disappeared. It's the church gathering in fellowship. It's the church gathering to be one together. And people come on on Friday night, that don't come on Sunday. See, the church takes place wherever God's people gather. Am I a part of the church, the National Prayer Chapel? No, I'm a part of the church, Jesus Christ. I meet with God's people. Well, You know, pastor, we just need time to talk to each other. 
Well, we do that every Tuesday night. The church gathers every Tuesday night. Are you a part of Tuesday night? Oh, I have to work. Oh, I have to do... Really? Don't you understand that your ticket out of this prison planet is with the church? It's not at work. You're not going to buy your way out of this deal. Well, some people get there late. And I had a tendency to say to them, you know, I'm glad you're here, but look what time. And another brother spoke up and said, no, no. If you get to church, you're never late. Doesn't matter what time you get there. Family's family. Jesus intends to get his bride ready to go to heaven in the church. In the gathering of God's people. When we are together, Jesus manifests himself in a way that he does not when we are separate from one another. Well, pastor, that's a lot of time. I can't afford to give that much time. Well, how much time can you give to afford missing the executioner? Do you understand what you're dealing with here? You're dealing with eternity. That when you give yourself to Jesus Christ, it's a serious commitment. And you go out from the body of Christ with an understanding that you're to go and win disciples. And some of you say, you know, well, Pastor, I don't like this about the church. I don't like that about the church. And that's like saying, I don't like how my parachute looks. Well, try life without the parachute. You'll get to the earth a lot faster. You know, I'm just tired of, of people downing, being down on the body of Christ. It's where the action is. It's where you have an opportunity to meet together with God's people and begin to pray for one another, begin to lift one another up. If you don't have time for the body of Christ, Christ will not have time for you. You want Jesus to have time for you? Then you take time for him. And get out of yourself and begin to say, how can I lift a brother up? How can I lift a sister up? How can I speak a word? How can I begin to bring people into the body of Christ? You know the very best advertising possible for the prayer chapel? Your testimony of Jesus in your heart. But if he's not in your heart, your advertising is going to fall pretty flat. I know a restaurant in town. The Bistro Le Hermitage. It's a French country restaurant. A couple sitting next to me. They were enjoying the meal. And the daughter said to the dad, 
Why don't we come here often? And dad spoke up and said, when we get the bill, you'll understand why don't we don't come here often. <laughs> but you know what? They've never spent one dime on advertising. And they're always crowded. Today they'll have over 350 people come and eat in their restaurant. No advertising. Well, why do people come? Yes, it's expensive. Why do people come? Because when they come in, they feel so welcome and so loved. And the food is so good. They say, I've got to come. Well, how's the food taste here? You're putting it on the table. Did you come with any food today for others? Or did you just come to grab and growl? Did you know the church is very expensive? Church requires a sacrifice from you. If it's too expensive for you, what is your option? Think you're going to make it on your own? See, all of heaven was poured out for you. And all heaven asks is that you pour out all for heaven. Marriage is not a 50-50 deal. Marriage is a 100%, 100%. Some people say a 200, 200%. I talk with couples all the time. And they say, look, I'm only going to give as much as I get. And if he's going to act that way, forget him. Whoa, there's a marriage headed to divorce court. No. Jesus Christ requires a pouring out of our heart. And that's to be reflected in the way we come together in fellowship with each other. In the public worship, and I love you coming to the public worship, but frankly, if I were forced to choose between public worship and Friday night, I would choose Friday night. Because the food's great, the fellowship is wonderful. Somebody this last week showed up with these incredible apple flowers. They were a little burned, but so what? (laughs) The wife let the husband put them in the oven. I mean, don't most of us guys burn something? Unless you're a gourmet cook like David. He doesn't burn anything ever. You hear what I'm saying? I love Tuesday nights. By the way, I'm not advertising. I'm telling you, this is the church. This is where the Spirit moves. And we talk and we share. 
and we cut through issues. If I had my way, the church would meet every day. In the New Testament, the church met every day. And every day, new people were added to the church. If the church doesn't come together and begin to function as a body, how will we withstand the attacks that are coming against the church in our culture? How will you withstand Islam and Allah? How will you withstand the the pouring out of wickedness from Hollywood? How will you withstand the sin of our culture if you are not in the body of Jesus Christ? You won't be able to. Now, I want to turn quickly to one other area. I want you to go with me to Hebrews, the seventh chapter. Hebrews, the seventh chapter. I'm going to begin reading for you in verse 23. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he is a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely or forever those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. What is Jesus doing right now? He's seated on the throne of God in heaven and he is interceding for you. Now, intercession is a very interesting word. Intercession means I take the position of the one I'm interceding for as my own position. I join together in the pain of the one I love. And then I bring this to what will change the circumstances for that person. In other words, an intercessor is a go-between. They come in the depths of the pain and the anguish of the heart. And they carry that pain and that anguish to the place of healing. That's what Jesus is doing right now for you and for me. Do you have any pain and anguish in your life? Do you have issues you're struggling with and saying, how am I going to deal with this sin? And some of you are dead today because of the repeated sin that you keep walking in and you're dead. Jesus is interceding for you and saying, look, will you allow me, sinner, to carry you and wash you and restore you and give you life? That's his full-time job. For 2,000 years, he's been calling his bride together. Why hasn't Jesus come yet? I used to ask that all the time. Jesus, what is wrong? Why don't you just come and end this? 
Well, he's not going to end this until he has a sufficient number of people to be his bride to fill up the new Jerusalem. He's serious about you. He wants to spend eternity with you. How do you like the people around you? Oh, I don't like him. I can't stand that guy. Really? You're going to spend eternity with that guy? She is a witch. Oh, really? How do you feel about living next to each other? Jesus will arrange your housing. That man's a cheater and a liar and a thief. Great, he's probably going to be your roommate. If we can't break through here and cry out in the prayer closet and see God step in and change a wicked sinner, what are we here for? Isn't this all about redemption? Isn't this all about turning our hearts from wickedness and anger and bitterness? As our dear sister said, coming to such a place that the root of bitterness has been utterly torn out of our hearts and we humble our hearts with one another. I've seen some who are so hard when I was in training as a pastoral counselor, my, my professor said something that was so wise. He said, a husband and a wife will come in for counseling and they're like, they're like two, um, two balls that you would, what do you do when you shoot with a stick? Pool, two pool balls. And he said they smash against each other and they go flying apart. He said, your job is to turn those two people into sticky buns so that when they come together, they don't bounce apart. They meld together so that they will be a feast for Jesus. Wow. Is there anybody in your life you're like a a pool ball getting hit by a cue? And are you praying for that person and crying out and humbling your heart and letting go of your bitterness and your anger and your root of hostility? Is there any person in your life with whom you are utterly separated and angry? That's the person Jesus gave you to pray for and to repent of your hardness of heart. That's the big scorch place in your wedding dress that's going to have to be replaced by the Holy Spirit. All of this happens in the church. All of this happens in the body of Christ. 
So we don't come into the body of Christ with judgments, with accusations, with harshness. We come with gentleness and love and mercy. And we say, yes, my brother, my sister. I hope we live next door to each other in heaven. I can't imagine being in heaven without you all. I don't want to go to heaven without you. And what am I going to say to Jesus when he says, Pastor, weren't you the shepherd of Lauren? Where is he? Well, Lord, I just didn't have time. What? Where's the church? Jesus has an eternal priesthood. He has been set apart from sinners. He's been exalted above the heavens. He sacrificed once and for all for us. He has been made perfect forever, mature. We have a high priest. And he is calling for you to humble your heart and get right with him. And deal with the bitterness of your heart. Deal with the hardness of your heart. Deal with your separation from the body. Forget about yourself. It's about Jesus. There is a new covenant. The old has gone. The new has come. The law and the ordinances ended in Jesus Christ. That's what the scriptures say. There was something wrong with the first covenant that was by law. There is a new covenant now. Let me read for you. Chapter 8, Hebrews, verse 8. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Are you a part of that new covenant? And are you willing to turn away from your sin and from your hardness? Are you willing to turn away from this world and search after Jesus? Are you willing to be the church? Are you willing to save the lost? By the love of Christ, 
that dwells in your heart. Let's pray. Lord, I tremble facing the reality of this prison planet. But then my my terror turns to joy as I see that all of heaven was poured out for us. Lord, there's a work of repentance that's going to have to go on in this church for you to come in your fullness to us. But I pray you'll bring that to pass quickly. Lord, I just surrender this this national prayer chapel. I surrender to you, Jesus. Rule over us. Protect us from the enemy. Guard us from the serpent, the dragon. Let him have no inroad. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.